0: Cactus Campus and our Mountain Valley Campus, and then our chapel next door, and our venue across our campus, join us for our time in the Word. Uh, I want you all to bow with me and let's pray. Father, uh, it indeed is good, as the psalmist says, to be in the house of the Lord, uh, this place that we have consecrated to you, and then our four other spaces, and uh, lift our voices to you, praise you, interact with each other. Uh, even be sung to. God, all the things that we do to uh, focus on you and even prepare ourselves for now a look at your word. And God, we believe through the eyes of faith that your word to us, the Bible, is unlike any other book on planet earth. It's your will, your revelation, your truth to us. And therefore, Lord, it's what helps us, uh, really forces us to understand you and even how to live life this side of heaven in light of you. So God, as we do that now, that we submit to the teachings of your word, and we ask you to speak to our hearts and our minds collectively, and then certainly also individually. And for that, we will give you praise. We pray this in Christ's name, and we all say together, amen. amen. Well, if ever I've asked you guys to maybe pretend that you're having a cup of coffee with me and and as your pastor i'm asking you an individual question i want you to do that now because if we were having a cup of coffee right now at your favorite haunt where you go to get coffee or wherever uh, i would ask you this question this morning i would say that when it comes to your experience currently that you have of god this side of heaven is this it? Teddy, that's what I would ask you. (laughs) Jeff, that's what I would ask you. Any of you, uh, I would ask you with what I want to do this morning, uh, is your current experience of God, this side of heaven, however far you've come, is this it, do you think, for your experience of God? Or put another way, is there an experience of God that goes beyond going to church and hearing good music? Is there an experience of God that goes beyond going to Bible study and getting better theology? Is there an experience of God that goes beyond having good Christian friends? Is there an experience of God that goes beyond having wonderful quiet times and some times of prayer? Is there an experience of God that goes beyond serving in soup kitchens? Is there an experience of God that goes beyond being generous and giving more money think of all the things that you and I are told to do as Christians and that many of you as good Christians do and I gotta ask you because we have to wrestle with this is this it We know heaven's gonna be better, amen, I mean, because we don't have the fallen minds and fallen hearts and fallen people around us and all of that, but when it comes to your experience of God right now, as good or great, as mature as it might be, is this it? Is the extent of knowing God for you for the rest of your life simply gonna be more doctrine, more music, more Bible study, more friendships, more service, and more money given? Or is there a level and kind of experiencing God's presence and love that can actually go beyond the average Christian's practice. That's what you and I need to wrestle with, because here, obviously, is where I'm leading to this morning. I believe that there is. And the reason is, is because the Bible says that there is. The Bible says that even on our best day, the experiences we have of God can probably be more. The Bible reveals that, and we're going to look at that today. It's just that many well-meaning believers as good-hearted as they are, haven't found that yet and haven't tapped into that. And that's what we're going to talk about this week and even uh, into next week. So what I want to do this week is share with you three critical truths about what the Bible says about this idea of experiencing God's presence and hence his love. We're going to focus on his presence today. Three truths that will get you thinking at the very least, if not salivating more after, this idea of is there more in your personal walk with the Lord. And here's the first place, uh, first place that we need to start with, and that is that God indeed has promised us his presence, especially to those who follow and trust him. Bear with me, even if that's not your experience right now, because we'll get to why that is in a minute, the Bible does affirm that God has promised us his presence, especially to those of us who follow and trust him. And by the way, this is unmistakably clear in the scriptures. Uh, in Isaiah 43, verses 1 through 3, God is giving a promise to the nation Israel. But theologically, we know that this promise transfers to you and I, as believers in Jesus, the church, because many of the promises given to Israel are now true for those of us who have been grafted in as Gentile believers in Jesus. And here's the promise God gave He says, But now, thus says the Lord your Creator, O Jacob, and he who formed you, O Israel, do not fear. For I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they will not overflow you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be scorched, nor will the flame burn you. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. I have given Egypt as your ransom, Cush and Saba as your place." And so don't miss this, guys. God says that he will always be with us. Even when we go through difficult times like passing through the waters, walking through the fire, his presence will be in our midst, a presence that will let us know that he is indeed with us. And if you don't buy that one, Jesus came on the scene and affirmed the same thing for his followers, almost identically. He says in John 14, and I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper that he may be with you forever, that is the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it does not behold him or know him, but you know him because he abides, say those two words with me, with you and he will be in you. Do you know what one of the most often repeated promises in all of Scripture is? This is empirically verifiable, it is the promise that God will be with us. The promise that no matter what we go through, he will not leave you, he will not forsake you, and especially for those who have come home to him in Christ, the promise is there. His presence is always with us. Now, if you're tracking with me so far, you've got to be asking the question, How? I mean, it's one thing to say, in kind of a trite maybe way, that God is always with us, but how precisely is his presence with us? How is it maintained so consistently and continually in our lives? And believe it or not, the Bible has an answer to this, and it's rather complex answer. You need to think with me here a little bit today, because the Bible answers this question of how God is present with us on a regular, if not always, basis, it answers it on a couple of different levels. And so to understand this, we need to make a distinction or a comparison between what the Bible calls God's omnipresence, or it refers to his omnipresence, and what we call his special presence. His omnipresence and his special presence. So first, consider God's omnipresence. Uh, the fact that God is always with us all the time. Uh, the way we describe God's omnipresence is this, and you've got to think with me on this. It's the biblical fact that God is God, and because God is God, he is not contained by either space nor time, and so by his very nature, now think about this, he is universally present to all space at all time. It, God has to be. Uh, By the very nature of being God, he has to be everywhere present anywhere that he has created. Otherwise, he would not be the all-knowing, all-powerful, everywhere-present one. So all space is immediately present to God who made all space simply by the very nature that he is God. And we need to recognize that because this will be very important for our spiritual lives in a minute here. Before that, look at how the scriptures affirm this. Again, this is eminently biblical. Uh, Jeremiah 23, 24. Can a man hide himself in hiding places so that I do not see him, declares the Lord? Do I not fill the heavens and all the earth, declares the Lord? Uh, so, can somebody hide from God or go to a place in all of the known universe that he is not at? No is the answer given. Why? Because God is God, and he is omnipresent. He is present always everywhere to his creation. Look at how David would put this in a very personal way in Psalm 139. He says, where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you're there. If I make my bed in Sheol, which means the underworld or even hell, you are there. And then he goes on to say, if I take the wings of the dawn, if I dwell in the remotest parts of the sea, even there your hand will lead me and your right hand will lay hold of me. And so David is saying that there's no place he can go. There's no place that he can even imagine that God is not at. Why? Because by the very nature of him, the word omni means all. The word present means to be there. God is present to all that he has created, even wherever you go. About uh, 10 years ago, there was an engineer in Massachusetts that decided to do something I think is kind of wacky. He, he, he was thinking along these lines. His name was Crandall Stone, and Crandall Stone was thinking along the lines that if God exists... And if the Big Bang is true, so he had those two things in his mind, then maybe God is most present at the beginning of the Big Bang that may be where God started this whole thing in the Big Bang is where God can be most found. So with that thinking, Crandall Stone took $20,000 of his own money and he built a radio wave transmitting device and he aimed it at star cluster M13, which he believes is one of the oldest star clusters in the known universe. It's 24,500 light years away. And he aimed this radio transmitting machine at Star Cluster M1, M13, and he set up a website for people to send their prayers into his website, and he would send those prayers on through his radio transmitting machine to where he believed God was and is. And though that might sound kind of funny, the very first week that this website opened up, he received 50,000 prayers from all over the world, from people wanting their prayers to be sent to where God just might hear them. As with all trendy things it eventually waned, he eventually shut his website down, and so you can't find it anymore. It was called newprayer.com back about a decade ago. And I can remember when I found that website, as a pastor, as a theologian, as a Christian, with all due compassion but honesty, I thought to myself, this belies a significant misunderstanding on the nature of God. Simply put, God is not at some remote part of the universe hiding from us, hoping that we just might find him if we're lucky. That is the opposite of the nature of God. As John Orberg says, God is closer than you think. As Francis Schaeffer says, he is there and he is not silent. Why? Because he's omnipresent. He is present to us all the time, everywhere, anywhere in this universe of ours. And it's one of the most basic things about the nature of God. Now, believe it or not, it doesn't stop there because the Bible then affirms another key aspect of God's presence and this is what theologians call God's special presence and you're saying well what's that well simply put it's the reality that go though that though God is present anywhere and everywhere watch this he chooses at times to make his presence known to us human beings through special manifestations of himself Call them God sightings, call them breakthroughs. Theologians have a fancy name for it, they call it theophanies. Whatever you call it, it's his special presence in which he breaks through into our world and lets us know that he is there. And so in the Bible, man, I'm telling you, you got hundreds, if not thousands, of these things. Jacob wrestling with an angel and realizing it was God. Moses hearing a voice in a burning bush and realizing it was God. And then Israel seeing a cloud guiding them in the desert and realizing it was God. Samuel hearing God's voice or hearing a voice in the temple and realizing it was God. Isaiah having a dream and waking up and realizing it was God. I mean, it's just on and on. Jesus coming to this earth and realizing He is God. The Holy Spirit came and given on the day of Pentecost and realizing this is God. And so, over and over again, people had these experiences, this side of heaven, in which they didn't initially know that this was God's presence, but then very quickly realized, "I'm in the realm of the holy." Again, John Orberg, in his book "God Is Closer Than You Think," calls these rainbow days. These are the days where after Noah and the flood, when God gave him a rainbow as an eternal sign of his presence and promise that this wouldn't happen again. Ortberg says, similarly, you and I have rainbow days in our life where we experience just a smidgen, a glimpse of the presence of God. We go, whoa, I guess he really is there. It's God's special presence in our lives. Now, with this understanding of God's presence, his omnipresence and his special presence, I want us to wrestle for a sec with the elephant in the room. I was raised in a lawyer's household, so I've been taught to push back on everything, which is why some of my favorite people in this church are those who are very cynical. I just love you guys, because I tend to be that way. I was talking to one of our elders this weekend about that. It's like every new idea that somebody puts before me in the church, I'm like, "Ah, that's dumb. And uh, and, and so I just, I, I don't like trends. I'm very cynical. I push back, and that's not always a good thing. It drives my wife crazy, but it also is not a bad thing to, to, to push back because behind every cynic, this might help some of you, behind every cynic is a critical thinker. Behind every cynic is somebody who, in a good way, thinks deeply about this world. And if I was in a cynical mold, m- mode right now, and I was in your seat, I'd be thinking this. Well, it's one thing, Jamie, to say that God is omnipresent, it's another thing to say that he is specially present, but it's a whole other thing to experience that. On a regular basis. So good theology, but really lacking in practice, Jamie, because again, if you and I were having that cup of coffee, I would tell you that those experiences that you're talking about here for me are at best very far between and at most non existent. And does that mean I'm not saved? Does that mean that he doesn't know me? Does that mean I don't know him? It does not, by the way, because what it takes to be saved is faith. What it takes to be saved is a trust in him. Uh, But part of our growth in the Lord, and even a part of many people's salvation experience, is an experience, a sense of his presence, those rainbow days. And the elephant in the room is, why do you and I not have them more often? Or even if we're most honest, why don't we have them at all? The Bible goes on to share one of the main reasons why we don't have them, and this is our second thing we need to understand about God's presence, and this is very rich, and that's this. The Bible says a fallen world keeps us from experiencing God's presence. I put the word constant in there just to be softer about it, but really it's a fallen world keeps us from experiencing God's presence. I don't know how many of you have ever been to Rome. I've only been there once, and uh, (laughs) I didn't find they liked Americans very well. But that's okay. I I went to Rome, and uh, I went through uh, Vatican City, and I got to the Sistine Chapel. And you look up at the Sistine Chapel, and one of the first things you can't help but notice is Michelangelo's famous painting, uh, The Creation of Adam. And it's really a very moving painting. I, I got it here right now. And on this painting, you obviously have Adam over here, and then you have God and the heavenly host here. And Adam is trying desperately to reach out to God, and God is reaching out back. And only the way that the artist could do, when you look very, very closely, you'll see that they aren't touching. It's so very, very close. Adam so desperately wants to experience the touch and presence of God, but it's not quite there. How many of you have ever had an experience like that? (laughs) I I think the vast majority of us have. I'm your pastor, and I have those on a regular basis. The psalmist had it. The psalmist at one point says, As the deer panteth for the water, so my soul longeth after thee. Why? He was saying, I'm thirsty. I'm thirsty for more of God, and, and I just don't get that thirst quenched like I want to. And why is that so? We have to wrestle with that. Listen, what the Bible says is that because you and I live in a fallen world and because we have fallen bodies and fallen minds and we're surrounded by fallen people, it makes it clear that from Genesis chapter 3 on, when the fall of humankind happened, a separation exists now between God and this world that he made. A separation exists even for those of us who are saved because we're still fallen, between wanting to experience God on a regular basis but not having that be so, at least as much as we might want. And let's be very clear. It's not that God doesn't want to connect with us. It's not God's fault. The reality is is that when God looks for a culprit as to why we don't experience him more, it's not him. As we've already established, and this is why it's so important, he's omnipresent. He's constantly doing special present type of things. But we are fallen. In our very nature, it blocks the experience of God, even on your best days. I love how Reinhold Niebuhr said it so well in his two-volume book, The Nature and Destiny of Man. He says, here's the problem. When the finite looks into the infinite, he gets dizzy. And in that dizziness, we completely miss out on the presence of God. And again, I'm not here to cast dispersion on us, but if you argue back with God about that and say, well, why don't you do something about that? As we'll see in a second here, he has said, I have. But even in that, you're not going to get over your fallenness to heaven, which is why it takes faith. But when you don't experience him, it's not his fault. It's our fallen nature's fault. And it lives in every one of us. Let me give you a very simple example that you might relate to. Say after church today, you decide to go to a party. And it's just a small party, say 30 or 40 people. And you're going there, if you're married, you go there without your wife, and without your spouse. And you go to that party and you enjoy it. And then you get home and your wife says to you, did you see Bob at the party? And so you go through your mental Rolodex of 30 or 40 people. And you say to your wife, I don't think so. I don't think, remember seeing Bob there, I don't think he was there. But then that night, your wife is talking to Bob's wife, and she casually says, you know, Bob was at that party this afternoon, and boy, he really enjoyed it. And then your wife says to you, hey, you know what? I was talking to Bob's wife, and he indeed was there. Now, let me ask you guys a question. Has anything like that ever remotely happened to you in your life? Raise your hand if it has. Oh, come on, you losers. Raise your hand. Because honestly, that happens to us all the time, especially as you get older, amen? And so let me ask you the $10 question then, and here's the real issue. If that's ever happened to you, was your failure to detect Bob's presence his fault? As if somehow he was hiding from you and didn't want to be seen by you? Well, that's possible, but I doubt it. Uh, Most likely it happened because we've all had experiences where our finite and fallen nature, even in very innocent ways like that, blocks our our ability to tag 40 people in an hour-long experience. And so we're constantly in rooms or settings where something's right in front of us, and we don't see it. And the Bible says, and this is what you need to know, is that it's the same with God. He is there. He's present with you in omni and special ways. But like you failing to notice Bob and him being at the same party as you, we fail to see and perceive God who is around us and even breaking through at certain points in our life and giving you a high sign, and we just don't see it. You know, I know this is true. Uh, my wife's a school teacher, and many of you have kids and grandkids. And uh, one of the most popular books that we've ever done for our kids is the Where's Waldo series. You guys know that that uh, that, that 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 series, and it's actually it's a cruel, cruel book when you think about it. <laughs> Because you put this book in front of a third, third, or three-year-old and say, find Waldo. And initially they think it's neat. Oh, yeah. And eventually they get frustrated. go, I can't find him. And you as a wonderful grandparent or parent say, no, keep looking. And, you know, and it's, just, it's just cruel. They can't find Waldo. I mean, I, this is my wife's copy here, you know. And, and I, I spent maybe like 10 minutes trying to find Waldo in this thing. And I finally found him. This is one of the newer versions, so he's not red and white. He's actually yellow and black here, and you can see it. You know, Waldo is indeed there. But amidst all the color, amidst all the busyness, amidst all the distractions, it's many times hard to find Waldo even though he's right there on the page. See, and that's what the Bible says about you and God, that that, that again, he's present, he's on the page, but it's our inability to notice him, watch this, amidst all of our activity, all of our distractions, all of our busyness, all the things that are vying for our attention, they prevent us from seeing and experience God's amazing presence, even his breakthroughs in our lives. And when you pause to think about it, and this is really for another message, there's a lot of ways that our fallen nature does this. I mean, sometimes we just go on spiritual autopilot we're kind of lazy, we just sort of give up on the spiritual disciplines, and that certainly doesn't help. There's other times that we're actively engaged in sin, and we know sin blocks the presence of God. And so if you're actively engaged in some type of sin right now, and you know what I mean, it's probably going to block the presence of God. But sometimes, as we've already posited, just fallen nature prevents the presence of God getting through. Job experienced that Halfway through the book of Job, Job is saying, look, I didn't sin, I've been faithful, I got three goofy friends here, but I'm not listening to them, and I still am not experiencing your presence, and God eventually shows up on the scene and says, no, no, no I've always been there, but the connotation is, is that your fallen nature, even when you're not doing anything wrong, can many times be the culprits. And so I know how some of you are thinking right now, again, the cynics among you, you're thinking, well, Jamie, this is turning out to be a very encouraging message today. Thank you. <laughs> I mean, God is present, but my fallen nature blocks me from experiencing him on a regular basis. Anything else you'd like to uplift me with today? And there actually is something. I want to give you one more truth and a very simple but I think powerful illustration that will help us understand how, from this point on in your life, You can say this isn't it (laughs) there is more and I am doggedly determined to experience more of God and here's what you need to know in order to do that and that is that you need to affirm that experiencing God's presence is more often than not a learned activity now what do I mean by that here's one of the greatest problems Christians I'm talking about mature every weekend in church reading the Bible going to you know, small group types of Christians think. We tend to think that as long as we're just doing our thing, as long as we're just kind of engaging in a few behaviors and doing our thing, then hopefully in some hit or miss fashion we'll eventually experience the presence of God. That, that if we just go on our merry way and live life this side of heaven and at least listen to the preacher now and then and some of our spiritual mentors, that, that, that eventually we'll bump into the presence of God at some point in our experience. The only problem is is that on a pragmatic level, that doesn't work, right? I mean, there's just too many of us who kind of live life the way that we think we should and we're not at all bumping into the presence of God on a regular basis. And so we have to then recognize that maybe there is another way, and it really is true, that we need to train our soul to learn to experience the presence of God. John Piper uh, writes about this a lot in his books. His books are rather meaty and heady But when you wade through all that, what Piper is saying is is that because of the fallen nature of our soul, you have to train your soul to speak the language, to recognize the signs. You have to train your soul in a very real way to experience and see and tap into that omnipresence, that special presence of God. In other words, what we're suggesting is, is that experiencing the presence of God really just might be a learned behavior. Uh, Jacob certainly had to learn to recognize the presence of God, so did Samuel, David, Paul, Timothy. Watch this, even Jesus, it tells us, had to learn obedience in the book of Hebrews, which seems to connote that even Jesus' experience of the Father, and he didn't have a fallen mind or body, he just was living in a fallen world, even with that, he had to learn certain things about connecting with God. And I'm going to suggest to you as we wrap this up that it's the same for you and me. Before I share with you what some of these learned behaviors are, I want to show you in kind of a visual way how this works. And to do that, I need a volunteer. Pete, I want you to come up here right now. Pete has no idea that uh, I've asked him to volunteer to come up here. Uh, It it really is mortifying being in front of all of you, so you guys need to give Pete a lot of grace, and let's give it up for Pete Wentz here coming up. Hey, buddy. Thanks for doing this. My pleasure. Uh, Pete and I met uh, at at the, uh, the, the, what do we call it, the tree shop, wherever you were working at that, Moon Valley, that's right, and so we're not here though to promote that, so anyways, uh, I need you to do me a favor, Um, I need you to look out here uh, in the audience, and we have Cactus and Mountain Valley and Chapel and and Venue, yep, wave to them (laughs) with us too, I need you to look out here and I need you to find Naomi for me, And, uh, and I need you to point to her. You can't do that. Okay. Um, try a little harder. Just just look out there. Find <laughs> Naomi for me. You can't find her? All right. Let me help you. Um, I want you to walk over here. Okay. Follow me over here. Now I want you to stand an, on this part of the stage. Okay. okay. Now I want you to look in this section here, right here. Okay. okay. And, and I want you to be focused on this section. Now I'm going to walk behind you. And I want you to lift your arm. Okay. No, nope. Just like that. Perfect. And now I want you to point your index finger. Yeah. Good. You got the right one. Okay. Right, good. And, uh, <laughs> And I'm going to put my finger on yours, and I'm going to point to Naomi right there. She's uh, just a a beautiful gal. She's next to her husband, Jim. She's waving at you. Do you see her there right there? Naomi, do you see her yet? Yes. Yeah, wave back. That's Naomi. Thanks. (laughs) Give it up for Pete showing us how to do that. Thanks. Now, some of you are saying, I have no idea what you're talking about. (laughs) Here's what I want you to notice that we did. When I asked Pete to find Naomi, even if he knew who Naomi was, and we don't know if he did or not, uh, it would be hard. We probably have 1,600 people in here today. It would be really hard to find uh, Naomi uh, out of 1,600 people, especially in a place uh, this big. And so notice what I did for him. I did a few things that that seem very simple, but they're very profound. The first thing I did is I said, I need you to walk over here. I need you to walk a certain way to a certain place and face a certain direction. And then when I did that, I said, I need you now to posture yourself uh, toward this section of the worship center. And he still couldn't find Naomi. So then I said, I want you to lift your arm. And he lifted it too high. Remember that? I said, no, a little bit lower. And then I want you to point your index finger. And then this is really important. Even then, he wasn't going to find Naomi. I then stood behind him because we all need a little bit of help now and then, don't we? And as a fellow human being, I put my index finger on his and I pointed right to where Naomi was. And then the only thing Naomi had to do to help this along a little bit is just give a little bit of a wave. And the second she did that, Pete found Naomi. But he had to walk to a certain place. He had to position himself a certain way. He had to lift his arm in a certain place. And then he needed a little bit of help guiding his eye along his finger in order to see her. And then when she waved at him, he had found Naomi. And what I would suggest to you guys is that this is exactly how this works with God. And you're saying, what do you mean? Theologians of old called these things the means of grace. That was a term used by the Wesley brothers, the means of grace. Uh, the Calvinists call them the doctrines of grace. We, we, we call them instruments of grace. They're things that you and I do, even as I'm going to suggest to you, postures of the human heart that put us in the right position in order to see and experience God. Again, it's not that God's not always with us everywhere. It's just that in our finite fallen nature, many times we're living life in such a way that we're not postured right to see and experience God. You're saying, well, what do you mean? Uh, let me give you some lists here. Um, theologians, for years, because the Bible affirms this, have talked about what we call the external disciplines or the external means of grace reading the Bible on a regular basis, learning to pray in a concentrated, quiet way, Uh, being in God's creation, not just to take a hike in the McDowells, but alone, getting out there, opening yourself up to God and saying, I'm here, I'm listening in his creation, being in Christian community, Again, not just to eat or talk about the game or whatever, but to really dig down on God and experiencing him. Uh, Serving others with your gifts and passions. uh, Confessing sin. Watch this. Not just to God, but to each other in tears and repentance. See, most Christians don't do things like that. Developing margin, silence, and stillness in your life because you move so fast. These are all examples of exterior disciplines. We say exterior because they're outward behaviors that you develop. Watch this. They're places that you put yourself on the side of the stage, facing a certain section, and then lifting your arm. And when you do that, you're postured right now to experience more and more of God's presence. And then it doesn't stop there because you have interior practices as well. Things like if you don't do those disciplines with things like faith, radical trust in God, hope being more optimistic than pessimistic, love, caring deeply about those around you, humility, realizing that you're not what you think you are, obedience in your life, saying I'll follow you wherever you go. If those things are not in your heart, uh, then good luck. Because again, God says, well, there's a barrier right there. Do you see what we're trying to do here? We're breaking through our finite too. we We're breaking through our fallenness when it comes to our experience of Almighty God. And again, it's not just more activity. I mean, one of the things I might encourage some of you to do is instead of trying to nail all these things right now, find your sweet spot in this. I mean, some people tell me that they experience God more being alone in creation than in any other place. And I get that. First time I ever went to the Grand Tetons up in Jackson Hole, I literally, and I never do this, I literally got weepy in my spirit. I had a Teddy Roosevelt experience when he first saw the Grand Tetons, and I saw them, and I was so moved—not by just their grandeur. I was moved because, in my spirit, I thought, this beauty, this this the, 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 just what they were. If that's anything about God and His love and His grandeur, then I'm in the presence of something amazing. And that, that sounds weird to some of you because you don't relate to God that way. I, I did. And, and I still do. I still have dreams about that experience that I had of God. Some of you experience God more in concentrated times of prayer or maybe being in community or developing margin, which I think we all need to do, maybe in times of service. I had a time of confession yesterday with some dear brothers yesterday morning, and I was so exhausted emotionally after confessing some of my sin to some of my fellow brothers that for the rest of the day I said to Kim, I am just wasted. I feel like I just ran a marathon, and all I did was confess some sin. But spiritually, I felt closer to God. I felt more in his presence. Are are you starting to see how this works? That as we use these means of grace, as we go to the end of the stage, as we look a certain way, God truly can be found. And I will also tell you this. That in the midst of all of this, if you're looking for kind of the key to experience his presence, and you're not gonna like this, but it's true, the Bible and experience affirms this. If you add to all of this a healthy dose of brokenness, you will experience God's presence. It is really the catch twenty-two of faith, and it's the enemy of Scottsdale. I mean, honestly, uh, the Bible affirms over and over again that when we get to the end of our rope, when we are in really broken places, as Paul the Apostle says, that thorn in the flesh asking God to take it away. He's not taking it away, so I guess his strength is going to be made known in my weakness. See, when you get to that point, you will experience the presence of God. You know what the problem is? Most of us, however, run from brokenness and we insulate our lives against every form of brokenness that we can think of, and we try darn hard to make sure it's not going to come into my life, but it actually, when you think about it, is really a friend at the end of the day. It's no fun to go through, but it is how you'll experience God if you will let it. There's a country singer right now named Joey Feeks. Some of you might have been following her on the news. She's a fairly popular country singer. And uh, she's dying of stage four metastasized cancer. And she sent out a thing to all of her followers saying, pray for me, pray for me. And literally thousands of people have been praying for Joey for healing. And she believed God just might do it. it. Seems that God has chosen not to do that. And she's in the, follow, uh, the final stages of her death. Hospice has been brought in. And on her blog, she's saying, you know, the time's over. She's a young gal, young kid's And it's really sad. Uh, Joey, however, is also an extremely, I hate the word strong. She's just, she's a good follower of Jesus. And she trusts in him. And uh, just this morning, as I was reading um, a portion of an interview, or probably her last interview, uh, she said this, and I just love it. She said, I pray that one morning, I just don't wake up. But I don't fear anything, because I'm so close to God. And we've talked about it, so many times. I know he's close and I know he loves me. I'm really at peace. This is goodbye or for some of you, I'll see you later. And that's her last interview. I I was moved as I read that this morning just about how she says, and I know you caught it. um, He and I have talked about it so many times. I know he's close. I know he loves me. See, right now, In her deepest time of need, she's experiencing God's presence. My guess is that if we asked her, have you always experienced that? The answer would be no. But she didn't believe this was it. (laughs) And in her brokenness, because she's yielding to God in her time of need and fully looking to him, he's looking back. And she knows that. And that's the way it works, gang. That sometimes it might take you being on bended knee, it might take your most needy moment where you cry out to God and he finally finally maybe breaks through for you in a way that is palpable i don't know i don't i'm not god i'm only your pastor but i do know i do know this this doesn't have to be it amen it does not there is more of god to experience next week we're going to talk about how we experience him in worship in times like these but for now Chew on this. Chew on the fact that he's always with you in a special and an omni way. Chew on the fact that your fallen nature is what's to blame. So don't go around blaming anything else. And then chew on the fact that there is a learned behavior that you can learn to develop in your life. These means of grace that posture you in the midst of your brokenness to experience him. And I pray that you do. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for all that you are to us. Mostly, Lord, I thank you today for your word that clearly def- it guides us into a right understanding and a right experience of you and God I do pray in a very personal way for each person here in the cactus mountain valley chapel and venue that God we might experience you and your grace your love your goodness even times of tough truth and discipline we might experience you more in our lives uh, God I can't believe that there's one person today that doesn't long for more of you as a deer pants for the water so my soul longs after you God, quench our thirst at least a bit this side of heaven, we pray in Christ's name. And we all say together, amen. God bless you guys. We'll see you next week.